We're back with the Sound On Side Game of Thrones podcast. This week we discuss season four, episode five, first of his name, written by written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss and directed by Michelle McLaren. We'll be right back after this. We're back with Sound On Sight's Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor of Sound On Sight, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, editor-in-chief, Ricky D. And the biggest fan of Tommen. <laughs> Tommen's number one. You're, you're in number the fan one. club? Totally. I got my Twitter account dedicated to him, my Tumblr account dedicated to him, you know, blog. Like that kid. Also joining us this week from Sound On Sight, TV Overmind, Process Media, many other places is uh, Randy Jankovic. Randy, welcome back. What are your thoughts on Tommen? Tommen's got pretty hair. It is very pretty hair. It's the the Lannister hair. He's got that, those Lannister locks. Yeah, it's a good it's a good look for him. Uh, before we get into this episode, we'll uh, say stay up front, remembering to do it this week that there will be no spoilers from the books. Uh, this is dedicated to discussing just this episode and everything that's come before of the TV show. We'll also, I'm sure, speculate on what's to come. I've read the books, but again, will not be sharing any new information uh, that is yet to be on screen here. Uh, for, on the TV show, Randy, what's your relationship with the books? You know, we get along well. I usually call the books on the weekend. Sometimes we <laughs> hang out. Check up. You know, I've read. I've read most of the books. I know most of the things that have happened, and many of the things that will happen. And uh, and uh, Ricky, for you, for our listeners who don't remember, haven't read the books. They are actually sitting in front of me. My uh, older bro lent it to me, but uh, I refuse to read the books until at least season four is over. Okay. Well, let's dive in. With this episode, we got uh, we spent time with characters that uh, we hadn't. It had been a while, and uh, I think the biggest one there 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 the scenes that really stood out to me were the ones featuring the ladies this week. So it was the the scenes with Marjorie and Cersei, but also uh, we got the return of Lysa. So let's start there. What did you guys think of the return to the the Eerie? I don't really like Lysa that much. I've never really been a fan of her character. I think she's just kind of a kooky, crazy lady who lives up in the hills, who has a bigger role in things than you'd expect her to have. And they kind of they kind of go really hard on her being insane in this episode. And I think it kind of plays to its detriment a little bit. It doesn't paint. You know, they're trying to this whole thing is about establishing how smart Littlefinger is and when you have such a wild card as her as the person next to you, I don't I don't I just don't see him being that type of person to make that move, even if it could be beneficial for him and even considering who her family is. Okay. Uh staying mum on, on that, uh Ricky, what did you think of, of Lysa? What do you think about the character in general, as well as how she's used this week? Yeah, I agree with Randy. I'm not a big fan of the character. I could care less if we see her or don't see her. I think it's the first time we've seen her since season one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the only thing great about that sequence is that we get to see the bloody gates that lead to her castle. Um, I think it's called the bloody gate of the Eerie, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, keep in mind, folks, I'm not a book reader. Um, but yeah, I do not care about her character or her crazy son. Her crazy son seems like some kind of like cheap knockoff of King Joffrey, only younger and stupider, and she just seems like a crazy lady. So, and as far as like her relationship to Littlefinger, I mean, yeah, Littlefinger is too good and too smart uh, to be associated with someone like that. And for him to actually marry her, I mean, I get to the, I get to the point. I want to talk about Littlefinger uh, later on in the show. I get the point that he's power hungry, and it's all part of his big plan. But yeah, I mean, God, couldn't he have found someone better to marry? She's psychotic, but in, like, the worst way possible. Like, not even cool psychotic. Not even, like, I want to see her on my screen every week psychotic like Joffrey. Um, just psychotic where, like, no one's even going to bother to make, like, a gif of her because nobody cares. Well, I think there's a good comparison to make between her and someone like Melisandre and just any, really any character in that world who's, you know, has... Everybody in this world is weird in some way, and for a lot of the characters, it's it's part of what defines them, but it's also... It's not viewed as something as such a crippling flaw from the outset of when you meet them. And if it is, it's done because there's, you know, there's a distinct reason for it. They're going to, you know, redeem it in some way. And it's the only reason why I can kind of put up with it, because it's so outlandish and over the top that it, it completely undermines your character. But 
Mm. It has to be there for a reason. You know what I mean? I just, I feel like there's, this world is too logical for something this illogic, you know, illogical to happen for this long. Like there's a lot of traits that they could play up with Liza that are interesting. Like she is like, you know, with the whole killing John that they, you know, that they didn't really need to explain what they explained. Like, you know, her doing that, they play it off as she's just crazy and will do anything for this guy. But there's also some like semblance of, okay, she's making this conscious act to do this because she knows it helps put her in a better position of power. But there's no sense of that. There's just, she's insane and she breastfeeds her kid and he's weird and that's all we got. I know, right? It's it's like she came from a character out of Bates Motel, not of Game of Thrones. I disagree. Uh, I have I, I enjoy Lysa as a character, though uh, I will agree she's one of the less nuanced or shaded of our characters, certainly because part of that's going to be that we've spent so little time with her. But I really enjoyed uh, what we got with her this week. And I think that you know, I, for me, it ties in with what one of her lines of dialogue about Kat, about how her marriage to Ned shaped her significantly and so by the time she had her daughters and Sansa got to know her mother she was meeting a very changed woman from who Kat had been as a child and I think with Liza she was you know in a a different kind of person and then she was married off to this old man in the 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 Aerie uh we didn't get to meet her husband but we saw him and he was much older and uh and then she was stuck in the middle of a the closest thing this show has to an ivory tower by herself in the middle of the mountains and uh and was you know went went kind of nuts being uh by herself and taken away from everything she knew and everything she cared about so i mean for me it makes sense and i also appreciate uh you know i I i think when we get that scene with Sansa I really did appreciate uh the, the handling of the character there as well as what else is going on and when you talk about Littlefinger uh I don't want to go too much into into why would he marry Lysa but I like that there's this whole backstory uh, about a, a love triangle with him and Kat and Lysa I think that's very much tied up in why she would do why she did the things that she did for Peter or for herself and why Peter did the things that he did. And I, I think that I would just say, trust the writers to entrust the character to have a reason because Peter Baelish does not do anything without a reason. Oh, and we, we clearly understand that from this episode. And, but the thing is, this is the interesting thing about doing the podcast. Cause when we set out to do the podcast, we specifically wanted a non-book reader and a book reader, which is why I am here, which is why you are here. And you're getting all of this, but you're also a book reader. And as a, as a non-book reader, I'm not getting all of this that you're talking about. I mean, I've seen this lady appear twice in the show. The last time was way back in season one, which was like four years ago. I'm not seeing all of this that you're talking about. All I see is some crazy lady who likes to have sex with Littlefinger and howls at night really loud so everybody can hear her. But what about that scene where we, <laughs> we get that progression where she starts out seeming really warm and inviting, and then just over the course of the conversation, she seems more and more nuts. Doesn't that make sense to you as a progression for who that character was and what they've become? Well, not really, because, I mean, the last time we saw her, she was pretty off the rocker and not to be trusted. So, I mean, she never fooled me from a second as soon as Sansa walked in and she tried to be all homecoming. I just, you know, right away, I assumed that she was in on some kind of plan with, with Littlefinger and she's going to use Sansa to marry her off to her son, which is pretty much what she stated halfway through the episode. So no surprises for me. Well, I think it's kind of I think what you said, Kate, it's kind of it's it's a side effect of her being not being a big character earlier on you know when we first get her a sight of her in the first season we don't get a whole lot of background on her then like had we gotten some of this exposition about who she was and what she's gone through it might have given it might have framed her character a bit differently but returning to her so much later when we only had a tiny snapshot of her it, it kind of it prejudices us, us as viewers towards her because we're like okay we know she's nuts and there's no way she's you know she seems I mean, she didn't really seem normal hanging all over, you know, Baelish and all that when he first came in. It was hard to, you know, trust that she was not up to something or had some nefarious plan going on. And then not only does she explain the nefarious plan, she explains it twice. She explains it in, you know, what she did and what she's going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and and that was one of the worst written scenes of any episode, despite the fact that we non-book readers needed it. 
But I mean, that's essentially what happened. Like, it wasn't really about her character. It was all about Littlefinger. Like, this whole episode felt like it was about Littlefinger. It's about her explaining to Littlefinger and explaining to us how he's been scheming and plotting since day one, since the very first episode. This whole episode is about how he is the series' greatest mastermind. And I loved it to some degree because I'm really fascinated with the character of Littlefinger. Like, I think his character is what's saving season four for me right now. Um, otherwise, I think season four would be my least favorite ep- uh, season so far. I mean, I know it's only halfway through, but um, yeah, I mean, here we find out that he's responsible for poisoning or she is responsible, I guess. Uh, they both are for poisoning her husband, um, which if I'm not mistaken, the poisoning of of, uh, of her husband is what basically started the big, huge like political started everything yeah so i mean yeah. he's basically he, he's the one that flicked that first domino it's been a domino effect ever since he's, he's orchestrated this plan since day one and that's what i got out of the scene that's what i liked about the scene but i mean nothing to do with her specifically it was all about Littlefinger. i have to agree with you that was one of the least elegant bits of dialogue they have given anyone on this show so uh, awkward it was incredibly awkward there had to be a better way to do that. Uh, but I, I, and the other thing, I guess the last thing I'll say about Lysa, uh, one of the things that does stick with me for that character is her relationship with Kat. And just in the first episodes, Kat gets the letter from her sister about, you know, what she suspects, you know, that, that the Lannisters killed her, her husband and all of this. And Kat, there's never a moment of, Oh, my sister's crazy. Do we trust this? But she, she has clearly, what she thinks to be a very strong sense of her sister and trusts her sister's judgment completely. And so maybe I'm also actively thinking about that in the context of, of, you know, when I'm thinking about the context of that character. So maybe that's an extra element. And because I am, have read the books, it is, you know, it does all blur together. So it's, it's can be difficult to separate out. That was something that we haven't really seen mentioned since the pilot of the series. So maybe mm-hmm. that's why I'm giving her, uh, that's why I'm connecting more with that character, finding a little bit more shading. And to be fair, just because I didn't specifically like the scenes with her in this episode doesn't mean I think she's, you know, doesn't have the potential to be an interesting character. Like, she seems to be a wild card, you know? And that's what I liked about the scene, because she is plotting and scheming with Lord Baelish, who, again, has been devising a plan since, since the very start of the series. It's like that whole thing started a political upheaval. And so that's cool. And so I guess I want to see more of her. But give me more of her. Don't return to her in like another 10 or so episodes, you know? Let's focus on her in this world, which I guess we're going to get because Sansa is now like, you know, in her castle and she wants to marry Sansa to Robin. And that kid Robin's really weird and I don't like him. And I hope he falls into that little moon hole, whatever it's called. But The um, moon door. The moon door. Oh, he threw out his toy. I was like, oh, you ungrateful little I know Shit. he's such a he is oh he's so horrible and that kid plays him so well even after not being on the show for three or four years that kid still plays him so well you see if I was a writer of Game of Thrones I would have had him kill King Joffrey I would have had King Joffrey meet Little Robin and Little Robin like killed him and started eating him oh but they're so, like, so he's, he's such a different kind of little <laughs> shit though that's what I appreciate <laughs> about the way that they've done Robin is that he doesn't feel to me he. It's, you know, very privileged, very told that they're hugely special. So infantile. But yeah, he's he, he's very different for me from a different, a very different kind of little shit from Joffrey, even when Joffrey was first introduced. Yeah, I know, but it still would have been great to see Joffrey die at the hands of a little shit and then get eaten by a little shit. <laughs> well, let's uh, talk about Sansa You're watching bit. too much Hannibal, man. Or Walking Dead. <laughs> or, or the Fens up north in uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Cannibals everywhere. Uh, th- that, the other thing that I really appreciate about that scene with Sansa and, and Lysa was that I, I love how quickly Sansa transitions to her, puts up her mask uh, when she's talking, of, uh, when she's talking with, with Lysa where she, you know, I don't remember the exact line, but she quotes herself in, in her conversations to the Lannisters and to Cersei about how, she, how, how glad she is to be there and how, how uh, of course, she, she's so happy to be under their protection. There's something like that. I, I love how deftly or how quickly she's back on, uh, on, on her guard and aware that things are screwed up. Oh, the face she makes when Lysa hugs her is just terrific. Priceless. When Lysa hugs her and tells her about getting married to Rob and the face she makes was just, it was priceless. Priceless. I can't wait till she commits suicide by jumping down the moon door. <laughs> you go with that that prediction there. <laughs> okay. Wouldn't it be amazing? 
Well, do we have any other? Let's let's stick with the Erie. Uh, any other thoughts on on Lord Baelish? I mean, th- obviously that that dialogue was awkward. Uh, I, I do think that that is something that was handled. That reveal of John Aaron's death and uh, all of that was way more deftly handled for me in the book. Which, of course, you get to have that first person point of view and narration, so that you can say what they're thinking in a it's a very different approach uh but it was it was a gut punch kind of oh shit little fingers been behind everything uh how effective or not was was that reveal for you guys now how much is it making you want to like go back and rewatch earlier scenes with the character not at all well, I spent half of my review talking about Littlefinger because what I really liked about this episode is the episode's basically called First of His Name, which you think would automatically refer to Tommen because he's now getting crowned at the start of the episode. But I like the contrast between Littlefinger and Tommen because it demonstrates the difference between true power and the illusion of power. Like in this episode, Tommen is given the crown and he sits on the Iron Throne. And you would think that, okay, he's the king, but he really has no power. He's not in charge. And if you look at what Littlefinger is doing... Like he's he's actually working for his power. Like, and we spend so much time surrounded by like the Lannisters and the Starks and all these people that are born into royalty that it's easy to ignore the people that are not born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And so this episode really spends a good time focusing on the scheming and the manipulations of Littlefinger. Like it, it really gets us to understand his master plan. And again, he's not someone that's born wealthy. Like he's had to like, I mean, I, I think, right? I mean, I'm not a book reader, but he's not born a descendant of royalty. Like, he's had no, to. No, they give him the same backstory on the show that they give yeah. him in books. So he's had to conspire and manipulate and basically work for everything he's, he's had and has, even if it means doing some terrible, terrible things. But that's the difference between him and King Joffrey and now King Tommen is that he's creating his own legacy. And so that's what I loved about the episode. It's about how he's putting himself in a position of power. And that is why I think he is the most interesting character in the TV show. And so that is why, at the end of the day, I do like this episode quite a bit. But I'm still somewhat disappointed in these last two episodes because maybe it's because I like Michelle McLaren so much, um, who directed the last two episodes, this episode and the previous one. And um, I just feel like they always give her the worst episodes to direct. Like, she's such a fantastic director. Like, why isn't she directing something as big and huge as like, The Red Wedding or Blackwater? Um, but I do like this episode better than the last episode, though. The last episode, I think last week I said it's my second least favorite episode of the series so far. This episode is much better. Yeah, and I absolutely i am on the same page with you about Michelle McLaren. It, she's somebody that, as as TV fans, people who watch TV very actively and critically, we see that name pop up. And at least, again, if you're me, you're going, oh, my God, this episode is going to be awesome. Because you don't when you bring in Michelle McLaren, you give her something to do. But it's appointment that, viewing. Exactly, exactly. But that is not apparently... I mean, these are episodes, I think there's interesting things that happen. I think she would, is did a good job directing both episodes. There were scenes that worked better than others. But again, she wasn't given the most interesting material to work with. I would have loved to see her take on episode... What uh, episode 9 is going to be this season, though. I think uh, they, they have some... They have Who is it lined up for that one? They have Neil Marshall lined up for that one. I'm sure he'll be great, but... Uh, but no, do you did you have any uh, did did these two episodes suffered from any lower uh, from any raised expectations for you, Randy, because of Michelle McLaren's? No, I mean I can't. I try not to. When you see directors, you know that I like directing episodes of TV. I mean Michelle McLaren also directed episodes of The Killing, so I'm used to not being excited when I watch things that she directs. I mean I love her obviously, but. I mean, I just try not to, I try not to put a lot, too much stuff. When I see a director for an episode, I try not to put a lot of stock in it because it's television and everybody's on such a, have such weird schedules. So they may just, sometimes you just get people in where you can fit them, even if they're great people and you don't have the greatest things for them to work with. If you can get them in, you get them in. That's just way too mature of a response, Randy. I don't know what you're doing here on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This episode was very much about Peter, as we said, which for me highlighted a character that I've really been missing this season who is Varys. Did you guys have any characters that uh, that you you feel like are have been underserved so far that you're that you're kind of just waiting to see them pop up again? Um okay, well, we've seen these characters pop up, but I still would like to see more of these characters and Kate, I think you know who I'm going to talk about. It's uh Bran Stark and even Jon Snow and Jojen. Cuz here's the reason why, okay? Um 
what I love the way the episode ends, and it's not because of the battle sequence, because honestly, I was not impressed with the action sequences at all. I mean, it's nice to see Jon Snow take the sword and put it through, um, put it through uh, Carl's skull. But the thing I liked about it is how it ends, because Bran Stark clearly has two choices. He can go with Jon Snow, return back to the Castle Block, probably you know take back his uh, legacy, become the rightful heir to Winterfell, or uh, sorry, and or move forward to the north and follow the, the three-eyed raven or find the three-eyed raven, whatever it is, right? And the, the thing that's, that's what I liked about it is that he's so desperate, or not even desperate, he's so motivated and and he so wants to fulfill Jojen's visions, like to go find the three-eyed raven, to move to the north. It's like that's what he's supposed to do. That's what he's meant to do. It's like there's no, um, it's fate wins out over free will type thing, right? And so that's what I like about his character because he's given me hope. He has a purpose. He has somewhere to be. He has a destination. He has a journey that he knows he should follow. Jojen knows he needs to do it. And we, the viewers, know that he needs to do it. And this is leading, I'm thinking, I'm assuming, up until the end of the series. And that's what I like about his character. Like, I just feel like he's so crucial and essential to where the show is finally going to end. Like the, you know, come season six or five or seven, I don't know how many seasons seasons are going to make. And so that's why I want to see more of this character because he actually gives me hope. And that's why I like to see the Starks. And uh, even with John Stark, like I love what they are doing with John Stark this season. Like we John talked Snow? about the, John Snow, John Stark. Can, can you still call him a Stark or not at all? It's nope. Like, nope. He is not. You cannot. He is they got to change that rule, okay? Just because he's a bastard son, he should still be allowed to use a Stark name. Okay, Jon Snow. <laughs> if he's a Stark, dot, dot, dot. That's a right, speculation. Yes. It's not actually in the books. It's not a spoiler, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> yes, we've talked about this in the past where some of us think that he's related to two other characters on the show. But anyways, um, listen to our previous Game of Thrones podcast, specifically season three episodes. Um, but yeah, no, this season, they're doing a really good job with the character, a character that most people hated for some reason. I've always liked the character. I think the actor is a lot better this year. I think his performance is much better. And uh, his character is great. Like he, he shows and proves why he can and should be and is the leader of the men of Night's Watch. And um, yeah, like I just need to see more of the Stark boys and the Snow boys and Jon Snow, whatever you want to call them. You see, you can't call him the Snow Kid because there's so many snows. Snow just means bastard, right? That's why it's confusing. You just can say John. There's not that many Johns in the show. Randy, how about you? What did you think about? Are Are you excited about the brand stuff? Uh, the whole uh, every. I th- I feel like everything that happens, like I feel like Craster's Keep, everything that's happened in that location for the past two seasons is just the show running on a treadmill. It's putting these characters on a treadmill for a few minutes and then letting them go. Like really the only interesting thing that happens out of those whole sequences is that you see Locke try to put this larger plan that they kind of alluded to in season three very briefly into effect when he sees Bran. And then you see um, Bran have used, he wargs, Hodor to kill somebody, which mm-hmm. clearly affects Hodor, and that's really all there is to those things. Like, I already know Jon Snow is a good leader. We saw him lead out. He saw we saw we've seen him lead the Night's Watch. We've seen him lead Wildlings. We know that the people of Craster's Keep are weird. We know that this Carl guy is going to end up dead because who cares about him? Who's going to control? He's got control of three people, or what they say there was a ten, eight guys there or something. I mean, it's not like he's no. powerful. This whole this whole area of the world doesn't. It exists as a place in between other more important places, and I'm just more interested in them to move out of this and keep going. Oh, my God, Kate, can I cut in? Because I still disagree. Okay. Okay, Okay, it was interesting that they actually killed Locke's character in this episode because that was a nice surprising twist because they built his character up to be like, oh, my God, he's going to be this villain that we're going to see throughout the whole entire season, and he's going to do terrible things. What do you mean they built him up? Well, you, I, you, you're read that's you reading into that. That's not the no, show no. portraying this big build up. He's been in two episodes through the whole Listen, series. That's not a build up. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like he he appears in the, like the last two episodes. He's going undercover. He's pretending to be Jon Snow's friend. I really thought that his character was going to go farther than you know three episodes. I was surprised he died. I was really truly surprised he died that quick. So to me, that was a surprising uh, twist. I'm going to call it a twist. And with Locke, also, they, they tied him very significantly into several of our main characters by having... He's the one who cut off Jamie's hand. He's the one who cut off Jamie's hand. Yeah. He's the one who put Brienne in the bear pit. Also, yeah, with Brienne and the bear. But then also, he was tied in with uh, 
with now uh, the bastard. Right. Um, Ramsey Snow. So, like, he's tied into several main storylines. So I think if you don't know, if you haven't read the books, it, it, I can absolutely see why that was a surprise where you're expecting there's only so many characters that connect these very disparate parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he's that important. His character is so inconsequential to the events of this episode, and they dismiss him so quickly that it's no, no but it he, felt like it was built up for nothing. No, I totally disagree. I think they kind of made some of us viewers believe that he was going to be a real threat. Like he was going to seriously harm and damage one of the Stark boys and or Jon Snow. And that, that is why I was surprised he dies. But not only that, not only does he die, but he dies because of Hodor. And I was just bitching and complaining about Hodor, Hodor last week and like Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. Like, what does he do? He just says his name over and over. And that was an amazing scene. Like the fact that, and that's what I like about Bran, the fact that Bran can channel him and get inside his mind and control him and have him break the chains and go after Locke and snap his neck like a twig. That was a fantastic scene, Randy. And that was a cool scene- action sequence, but. Uh-huh. that's it that's all it no, is so wait so my final point about the scene is um being a huge fan of Jon Snow and Bran Stark and Jojen I really had hope that Jon Snow would finally reunite with Bran I really really honestly thought that they would reunite and so when they don't reunite first of all that was a, a second surprise and it was heartbreaking it was heartbreaking to see Bran make that choice a choice which was not easy to do but he had to do it and it's a brave choice and to me that speaks volumes about the character well and as as book readers we knew that wasn't going to happen so that that element was not there for us in the same way no i you got to understand i approach these things as two completely different and when i watch the show i don't think about the books i don't think about the decisions the books made the way they portray things i view them completely separate from each other this so stuff you with... thought there was a chance that Bran and john would share a scene and talk this week you thought yeah, that would who, happen i mean i don't I, I don't know i that's that's the whole beauty of watching the show is not knowing what they're going to do with the books. I don't look at this and say, use it as, okay, well, they're at this point in the book, then this should follow, and then that should follow. No, this this show should be viewed as its own creature. That's why it's a television show, and it's that's why it's called Game of Thrones and not A Song of Fire and Ice. It is different. It is about different things. It's it's different. You just can't – I okay. can't bring expectations from one into the other. So when okay. I watch these things, I'm not ex- – I, I applaud <laughs> your ability to not have them bleed together then because that's what I, I – I, I agree absolutely with what you're saying, but for me, I can't help but have my expectations or the, what I read, what I, the, what threads I pick up on in a mm-hmm. season affected by knowing the rough outline of where they're going. And, and the thing is, I mean, again, that's why we designed the podcast. We designed the podcast, have a non-book reader and a book reader and always bring in a rotating guest. Sometimes the guests have read the book, sometimes they haven't. But the thing is, you're getting three points of view of the, sh- of, of the series. I think we're all fans of the show, but it's interesting to see how we read things differently. And I honestly had a completely different reading of this whole sequence of John Stone, Brand Stark than you did, Randy. But for me, it works. And I'm actually completely with Randy on it. Uh, I, I think it's, parts of it worked uh, better than others, and I, I absolutely agree that the stuff with Hodor was very effective. And I think it also mur- muddies the water and makes you know Brands made Hodor a, a killer now, a murderer. Uh, granted, it's in defense and all of these. You know, it's very understandable. Yes, yes, but Hodor was very clearly affected by this. And can you imagine just kind of your mind going blank, and then you wait, you wake up, and you've got blood on your hands? It would mm. mess with anyone. And so it makes Brandon a uh, a darker character. So I think that Brandon a darker character. But I absolutely agree. Everything in Craster's Keep. <laughs> that's you know, when I look at uh, something like uh, the Two Towers, for example, the adaptation, the film adaptation, mm. and there's so much of that that film that just should have just been cut out everything with Aragorn and the stream and the, like there's so much of that that did not need to be in there at all. And when we look back on this part of uh, the season or the series, everything with Craster's keep could have just been cut out, but they wanted to give brand something to do. So they had him get captured. Well, and the thing is, that's exactly why I think they, they did it. They added those scenes to give Bran and Jojen and Hodor something to do. 
Yeah, but, but that's it, not it, a good enough reason for Yeah, me. I don't think it, and I don't think it really adds anything. Like we've seen Bran make this tough choice to continue on his journey or turn around before. We know he's going to keep going on this journey. He's made the he hasn't made this choice in regards to seeing a family member, but he's made this choice before. He's made the choice not to turn around. He's made the choice not to give up. He knows this is what he's meant to do. I don't need Jojen lighting his hand on fire and giving me magic visions and doing all this other weird shit that I don't understand just to make the same point again. Like Kate said, the only interesting part is with Hodor because that changes that dynamic there. There's something different there now. You see, Besides I, that, there's not anything different. I do. I need those scenes because the thing is, yeah, we've seen something similar in the past, but we've never seen him that close to Jon Snow. Like he's not sitting at the top of some huge tower and sees Jon Snow from like 100 feet away and he still can't get to Jon Snow. He's right there. He can call out to Jon Snow. He has to make that decision and choice and he makes it. He's not forced to make it. He, he doesn't make it because... There's no other choice. There is a choice, and he makes a choice. And yes, I need to check in with Bran Stark and Hodor and Jojen because these are characters in a show. They seem important to the overall story, so I need to see these characters over and over. Uh, unlike the, uh, Stannis and Millicent, I still have no idea how they're going to play into the larger picture of things because every time we check into Stannis and Millicent, I'm like, I feel like I'm watching a different show. When I check in with Bran and Hodor and Jojen, then... I'm like, yes, thank you, because you have these characters, and I believe they're important because of the vision and the prophecy and the three-eyed raven, so give me more of these characters. So, yes, I think for non-book readers, they needed to write in this scene. Well, and you know what? I absolutely love all the vision stuff, too. I, I, I really connect with the three-eyed raven and the tree. I really like the visuals of that this week, the of the of the weirwood tree, with what they give uh, Jojen. But uh, this does... You know, it's it's one of the issues with adapting a, a work like this, where you have many, many characters and you just have hundreds of pages where you don't need to check in with the character, frankly. You, an entire season where you really did we need, we could have just not seen Theon most of last year and it would have been better off. But they're like, no, he's one of our main characters. We need to check, keep checking in on him. So we just got him being tortured over, more over, and over, more. And over. Yeah, and it was overkill. And this, you know, this is a more creative and more successful way to, mm -hmm. to check in with with Bran than what they did last year with uh, with Theon. And I really enjoy Bran. I like spending time with him. I like Jojen. I like Mira. I like Hodor. I like being with those characters. But <laughs> they, they, I think they need to come up with more for them to to do. I guess. Okay. No, but the thing is, okay, I'm going to ask a question, and then I'm going to make a point. So in the book... Why don't you make the point and then ask the question? No. <laughs> well, then I'm not going to answer. It. I'm just going to go. Okay, go for it. All right, fine. Like, the thing is, they could do or they could do something different. They could write in a different scene, but they have to be careful with a ripple effect. They can't write in something that can totally change the whole future and movement going forward of the series. They have to be careful what they write. So that means in order not to change some of the events in the future based on the book... They have to write in scenes that, you know, can be taken out and eliminated because that's the whole point. you got to insert a scene into the show that's not going to affect the future of these characters and the plots moving forward. So in the book with Bran Stark, how long do you go before not checking back in with a character like him and Jojen? You get a lot more sort of vision-y kind of stuff. You get a lot more like warging, like from first person point of view with him as Summer. Okay. You get stuff that's a lot harder to do, basically, and you know, especially because they don't want to show the visions and stuff because it's it's a lot easier to parse and kind of figure out where they're going. Okay. Spoiler wise, so there's a lot of stuff that it doesn't really work, but plot wise, you know, you can go a long time without checking in with Bran. You can go because it's, it's the whole Lord of the Rings thing, and I love the right. Lord of the Rings. But at a certain point, they are just walking. Okay, but do you understand my point about how they're going to insert things to give these characters? Yeah, I think that's a time. terrible. I think it's terrible. Yeah, you you just said it. Like they're making you said the point of the scene is to have a scene that doesn't have a point. So you can just take it out. If you can just take it out, why am I watching it? If it can just well, be no, pulled right out of the narrative and not be missed, it's why not am I watching necessarily it? what I said. Yes, to some degree. It's about what it tells us about the characters, not about where it about how it advances the actual story. Okay, so they can uh, and I agree with you. But what it my whole point is, what is it telling me that I didn't already know? Uh, I just think now, now this is where I'm leading to. This is the point I'm trying to make is when you pick up the book and read it. I mean, I guess most people like most book readers pick up the book and they read it within a few days, a day, a week, who knows, right? Not over like a period of four years, right? This, the, each season comes out every year. You get 
how many episodes? 10 episodes? And each book comes out every five years. Okay, but I'm talking about a specific book here. So I, I, I don't blame the show writers and the, and the show runners for wanting to check back in on these characters, knowing that this show is stretching out, you know, four, five, six, seven years. We're going to have to check back in on these characters eventually. So if you're going to do it, at least do it in a way where I'm going to get myself a kick-ass scene where horror kicks ass and Bran Stark kicks ass by using Hoarder to kick ass and we get the direwolves pop up and it's nice to see John reunite with his direwolf and and it's nice to see Bran and John almost you know touch base and then don't and I thought it was heartbreaking so I can't fault the, the writers on this one guys I'm sorry well and this is a recurring at least for me it's a recurring issue with certain corners of the world for this show and I just and again I think it just comes down to the difficulty of adapting something where for long stretches of time there's there's a lot going on in certain parts of the world when at the same time Danny's in a city and you know or, or especially all of last season you know where there was seemed like there was very you know the last actually really the last two seasons there's only been so much for that they've given Danny to do and that's, that's how she ends up whining about her dragons uh mm -hmm. eating her dragons for an entire season and not really having much because they there's time sensitive details you know if if they fast forward danny's storyline too far then it gets out of sync with where in the timeline what what would affect what's happening in king's landing and the same thing is true with with bran and so it's been a recurring struggle for different parts of the the world the more disparate parts of the world at least for me uh and danny's a problem there and uh some of the stuff with uh with the north of the wall can can be a problem with that as too as well well we talked about this last week with danny and i think whitney our, our guest last week and i were complaining about danny's character because it just felt so repetitive so here we get a scene with danny it's very brief um she receives news that king joffrey died and then she finds out that Dario has taken, like, Marine's Navy. Okay. So then she sits there with a council. She talks to them. And then she realizes she has enough ships to probably have the opportunity to take King's Landing. Uh, but then she also realizes that the cities that she previously conquered, Yunkai and Astapor, mm -hmm. have basically relapsed into, into the slave trade. So finally, we get, instead of getting a, the repetitive scene where she arrives at a city at the front gates you know, delivers a motivational speech and then the slaves just surrender to her and then it's rinse and repeat, do the same thing over and over. At least now her character seems to be going in a different direction, even if it's backwards, because now, now she realizes that, oh, yeah, freeing slaves isn't that easy, so now I have to go back and actually rule like a queen before I actually think about, you know, being the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms. So now I'm sort of like, okay, maybe her character is going to get interesting now because she's been not interesting all season long. So it's a product. I think that's like you said, it's a product of just this massive sprawling narrative that it's and hers is such a hard thing to do because she goes to these, you know, budget, you know, in terms of the budget, because she goes to these huge cities with all these people and she makes all these, you know, big grand speeches and she's got this huge army, well, this growing army and mm -hmm. somebody just ran off to steal 93 ships for her, which I <laughs> could imagine would be a bazillion dollars to produce, even if you're just doing it in CGI. So you know, of of all the main, you know, big storylines on the show, of course, hers is naturally going to suffer. But I think, you know, out of all those flaws still comes interesting things like her finally realizing that, yeah, you can talk a big game and free slaves and talk about being some beacon of freedom, but you're just as trapped as anybody else is and just as trapped as they are. You may have taken their chains off, but you mm -hmm. haven't changed the perception of who they are or what they do at all. Even for themselves, some of them, she even said that some of the free people just went back to being slaves because that's what they knew. It was so easy for the other people to get control again. And I think that could be a very interesting direction for them to take her character. Exactly. And that's the most interesting scene we have of her all season long because that brief scene with her and Jura not only addresses the problems and complaints that I've had in the previous episode, but now it seems like the writers and Danny and Jura are actually going to explore the actual dynamics of freeing slaves. Like, that's what I kind of want to see. I want to see if she's actually worthy of the Iron Throne, not just because she has three dragons flying around her. Because the thing is, we get a lot more of her scenes, let's face it, because she has dragons, and dragons sell the show to a bigger audience. Well, and also, it's really nice to have somebody who cares if they're a good leader and who wants to be a good leader and wants to help people and, you know, makes a choice not about their personal 
long-term goals, but about helping the people they've said that they will. There's very little of that amongst the the the, mm-hmm. the self-named kings and queens on the show. So it's like needing a good good characters to to root for people to make selfless decisions, like we see with Bran this week. Danny's choice to stay and try to rule and try to help the people she said that she would. It's really good to help counteract some of the 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 more depressing elements of the show with a scene like this. Mm-hmm. Well, and the political intrigue is one of the reasons why I like watching the show. And it's 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 interesting to see her, this leader, actually sit. And I know this sounds stupid, but to sit down with the council and actually try to, you know, come up with a strategy is how to how to actually rule properly and not suffer these consequences and have not take over a city for a day or two. And then all of a sudden it's get, it's get, it gets taken over by masters and their slaves again. Like, that's kind of interesting. Like, I mean, and the thing is, you know, I get it. They don't have the budget. And but it kind of sucks. It, it sucks to be reminded that there was this great battle each and every single week. And we don't see it because it happens off screen. So all we've had of Danny, like I said, in the past is her showing up at the gates, motivational speech and the free the slaves are like, yeah, we're free. And that's about it. They got to do a little something more. So I'm hoping that they're going to take it in a new direction. And based on that one little brief scene, although brief, I think there's hope for her for the rest of the season. All I want to know is what the hell is her dragons doing because you always hear her dragons in the background like like i mean are they just flying around should she be worried that they they might be eating some people do dragons eat people in the show like just you know for a snack like i mean <laughs> where are the dragons <laughs> like didn't we see that happen well earlier in the season we saw her she's unable she's losing control of them they're not they're kind of reaching that adolescent age where right. they don't want to listen to mommy so, so she's, she's struggling control. to maintain you know, control over them and their activities. So, so she may just have thrown up her hands at this point and said, well, whenever they come around, we'll deal with them. So she's not worried that they're just kind of like flying around God doing God knows what TV show, man. We, that will like, be touched on again. Yes. And also budget. Yes. That, that will, that will happen again. I'm sure there will be, that will come up in conversation. Uh, but before we run out of time, uh, cause we've gone, quite a ways into our episode here we need to talk about cersei and marjorie because i am as a book reader i am so glad that they have shifted that dynamic in a what feels like a very substantial way from the book at least in this episode at least for now yeah and it is a very good thing for for the character of cersei the her being an interesting character and a nuanced character and a character I, I want to spend time with. Uh, what did you guys think of, of the scenes with Cersei this week, both with Marjorie and then also with Tywin? I just hope it's not a mislead, because like you said, it really makes Cersei an interesting character for the first time in a long time, you know, instead of being this petulant, whiny queen who can't get anything done correctly and is obsessed with her children, she's... We see her reaching out to another human being and, be, and you know, pointing out that, hey, you know, like this shit's all messed up, but you might actually have a legit shot here, whereas I didn't, and I might actually be able to help you. And it's nice to see Cersei, instead of just taking and taking and taking from the world and then complaining about it, her reaching out to somebody else for once, which is, like like Kate said, is a big departure from the books and something I really hope that they stick with. And also seeing value in Marjorie and in value in Marjorie in relation to her son, I think is it's, it's a big change, and it's one I'm very glad Glad to see. Ricky, what did you think? Yeah, so last week we complained about Danny. This week I'm happy with Danny's scenes. Last week we complained about Cersei. This week I thought Cersei was the bomb. She was amazing. Loved it. But, you know, I think there were several themes running throughout the whole entire episode. I already talked about the contrast between Tommen and Littlefinger. But also there was the idea of how um, uh, I think this specific episode really places a heavy focus on how some of these characters have to come to accept and understand the roles that they are required to play. And I think, you know, maybe she just finally realizes it. Maybe she finally gets it. It's like, okay, I got to play the game. I got to like understand that my son is sitting on the, 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 he's like the king. Now he's sitting on the throne. He's got the crown on his head and he's going to need a wife. He's going to need people to help him lead. And I don't want the same thing to happen that happened to Joffrey. And maybe she just comes to realize what her role is and what Tywin wants her to do and the rest of the Lannisters and King's Landing and what she has to do. And that could be said for a lot of characters in this episode, including Danny. Danny finally realizes what her role is, which 
she's required to do to be a true leader, to be a queen, to actually rule and go back and freed those slaves once again. And that to me is one of the reoccurring major themes of this episode. So all of her scenes are fantastic. And I also specifically love the way the opening sequence was directed because, and maybe I'm just stretching because it's Michelle McLaren. I love her so much as a director, but I couldn't help but think of a chessboard, like the way she places her actors and the way she plays around with the foreground and background and the differential focus and the way someone would, uh, you know, bend over and you would catch someone in the background and then slightly move over and you would see someone in the foreground type of thing. I love the way she filmed that whole entire sequence. It really felt like I was watching like a live chessboard. Uh, any other thoughts? Uh, let's see. We haven't talked about uh, Oberyn. I like what we got with him this week. Do you think we'll see Marcella? I have. Uh, Marcella is Cersei's daughter, the one they were, they were talking about her. She gives her the boat. Uh, Cersei oh, right. gives um, Oberyn the boat to send home. They talk about daughters for a while. Think we'll yeah. cut over to Dorne at any point? I actually just completely forgot her name, so sorry. It would be nice to see Dorne. We haven't, you know, we've heard a lot about it, and it sounds like a real interesting place, and it would be nice to see the show's vision of it at some point. The other main part of this episode that we haven't touched on yet is uh, the the two buddy cop pairings of of Arya and the Hound, and of course, I loved the you know finally getting to see a little bit of Brienne. Oh and God, Roderick. it's going to be my favorite story in the show moving forward. I can't wait. I know, Which power right? couple are we, we or dynamic duo? Uh, do we are we more invested in this week? They should do an online voting at the end of the season. Who do you like better, like the Hounds and Arya, Jamie and Brienne, or Brienne and Pod? Like that's going to be tough to vote. I loved every single scene with these characters. I think uh, the highlight of this episode is Arya and the Hound. I love the scene in where she's listing off all the people on her list that she intends to kill. And at the very end, she kind of turns around while she's lying down and she turns to the camera and then she adds the hound to her kill list. I thought that was a really nice beat. And um, I also like the fact that we get to see her sword play and then he kind of like right away puts her in her place and gives her a reality check that, you know, she's not as good of a swordsman and as strong as she thinks she is. And um, that whole sequence was fantastic. I think yeah, I think that was a great scene as well. I think her the the water dancing with Arya was edited. The editing that was really poorly done. I think it was. I mean, obviously they need to use some stunt performers here to do some of these things, but some of the way that are like the footwork is edited is very awkward. But I think those are great scenes with her. You know, Arya is my favorite character on the show, so anytime we get to spend with her, I'm going to be a little biased towards. Yeah, I really liked uh, the, the that sequence and getting to see her. Because she seemed happy and focused in a way that we don't get to see her necessarily be all that time. And, and it's like you can see her reliving that memory of that last bit of somewhat happy time. She wasn't with her mother, but she was with her father and her sister. And everybody wasn't dead. So uh, to, it's nice to call back to that. I mean, Syria Farrell is such a great character. I do think he gets short shrift by the Hound, but that's because the Hound never got to see him in action. And, you know, if you're unarmed going up against two people in full armor, you're going to lose. It's, it's what's going to happen. Uh, but the, the the lesson of, okay, that's all well and good, but in this situation, that's useless. I think that was an important lesson for Arya, and I, I like that she continues, hopefully, to learn uh, from the Hound while still fully intending to kill him. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most fascinating scene of the episode, too, because it really gets into one of the sh my favorite things about the show and how the idea of perception plays into something like, you know, being trained by him. You know, Arya had this very distinct view of how powerful. Um, what was this, the swordsman's name? Sirio. Yeah. How, how powerful he was and all the lessons she learned from him and how this was going to help her along her way and the hound literally smacks that notion out of her head in about three seconds. And it just goes to show like, you know, what some people view as something that's so powerful and useful, other people will dismiss immediately. And they can be right about that, right to dismiss that. Cause you know, he makes a great point that when you're wearing armor, a fencing sword really is going to do any damage, but he, you know, there's also the other side to that, that, you know, Arya's planning to kill him and it doesn't matter whether she has needle in her hand or another sword, she's still going to try and kill him. I think there's a great, exploration of the dichotomy between what some people believe and what others believe and how that clouds everything else that we think and about people in this world. Well, when you go with perception, we got to throw pod in there. And I love Brienne's reaction to the Kingsguard 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and then her 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 second look at Pod. Yeah, it's like she finally has respect for him because he basically retells his heroic deeds when he saves uh, Tyrion at the Battle of Blackwater, right? And he retells and, it in the least florid And he's so yeah, he's ever. so dismissive. I know he's like, yeah, kind of. He's not yeah, happy about it. Yeah, I know, not at all. But that's why we like Pod, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Arya, I got to agree with with uh, Randy. I think she's. By far, I, I can't say she's my favorite character yet, but she's um, she's she might just be the most interesting character by the end of season four. Do we have any uh, hopes or expectations? Again, Randy and I will put aside spoilers, but what you know, I already said I want to see more Varys. Uh, Ricky, you said you mentioned you'd like more up north, but do we have any other hopes or expectations for the next couple of episodes? Um. Well, I mean, I think we're due for a huge battle sequence, which, you know, judging by the fact that Neil Marshall's directing episode nine, I believe, uh, I'm assuming that's going to be where the episode in which they put like the bigger budget, you know, because Neil Marshall's known for directing Blackwater. He's directed some big genre films. Uh, I think they're going to have to give the audience one episode that's just epic, like in scale and scope. So I'm looking forward to a battle somewhere. I'm not sure where. I I don't know if it's going to be with Danny and her army, or if someone's going to actually try to invade King's Landing. Although I don't I don't think so. I think it's too early. But something's got to happen. Um, I I don't know. I I I feel like there's a part of me that feels like they need to check back in on characters like Millicent and Stannis and all these other characters who we haven't seen in a while. But there's a part of me that that really doesn't want to. Like I'm not interested. Um, so I do miss Tyrion. Um, he was not present in this episode this week and he was missed. And Jamie. I was good with them sitting this week out, uh, especially because for right now, at least Tyrion's pretty much just in jail. Uh, we, we should be getting the trial. You know, they talk about that quite a bit. Randy, what are you looking forward to? Well, I'm, I'm obviously looking forward to seeing what happens at the trial and, it's really the only interesting thing from going on for me at King's Landing at the moment. Yeah, I want to check in with Varys, but you know he's probably doing what he normally does, living in the shadows. And I just think there's so many interesting things that are they've started to set up in these first five episodes that need to start getting knocked down in this back five. Whether it's you know what's going on with Mance Raider and the cannibals beyond the wall, and you know Ygritte's quest for vengeance to hunt down Jon Snow at Castle Black. Or, you know, Bran's quest to go to the Three-Eyed Raven. Like, I'm really looking forward to, you know, however he ends up getting there. If he gets there, whether, you know, this vision that Jojen apparently has that doesn't include him and his sister, you know, comes to fruition. There's a lot of interesting things that have been set up. And now I'm just, I'm ready for them to get knocked over. I'm ready for things to start happening. Jojen's not looking good. Why? He certainly doesn't think so. What do you mean? Because he think because he knows he's no, gonna die. No, well, because he keeps telling sick. him that he's not gonna be there. Well, that too. You know, you're right. He's he does. Like fading away. He looks. He does not look like he is a well person. Oh no! Don't say this. I just attributed it to the cold, but I guess you know there's a good point there. You know, his sister looked. He's much... kind of like clammy. You know. Yeah, he's very white and almost like okay. he's grayed out. You guys are making me angry. No, I like that character. <laughs> but I mean, he kind I of foreshadows his own. I mean, he talks to him. Well, yeah. He keeps saying, like, we may not be there. Like, I might not be around. He might as well put a neon sign over his head that says, I could use an arrow through the head. Yeah, he says that he won't be there when Bran get, finally gets to the three ravens. But I'm not expecting him to reach his destination for like, at least another two seasons. Like, he can't just die this season. Like, no, Bran needs him. Uh, but anyways, um, you know what I'd like to see? I would love to see an episode in which we get to see uh, Bran Stark and, like, Jojen and Hodor traveling, and then we cut to Danny traveling to whatever she's doing, and then we cut to Egret and Max Raider traveling. Like, basically three storylines that kind of align because they're both heading in a certain direction, and it would be really cool if they could parallel those three storylines in some way and cut back and forth and just focus on those three groups, which I think those three groups need to be focused on more because we, we get so much of King's Landing. Like, I could take a whole entire week away from King's Landing right now. We could always check in with Rickon. There is another Stark out there. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I was thinking about Osha. What the hell happened to him? Osha. Remember? He's up with Osha. What? Where were they going? Were they going north? I don't even remember which direction. No, wait, wait, guys. Refresh my memory and the memory of the listeners. Was he put on a boat? No, when they leave, when they're running away from Winterfell, when Theon's going nuts at Winterfell, they split up. And Osha goes... 
with or is it after he sees the vision of the raven? I don't remember. Kate, you might remember this better than me. Yeah, they they're together for a while after leaving Winterfell. I want to say they're they almost run into John right in the tower. They're oh yeah, he's fighting there. outside. That's when he breaks up with the the wildlings and he fights the wildlings there and takes out their warg. Yeah, and then they part oh, ways. I'm getting yeah. so then they must have sent Rickon south, right? I you know I don't remember. Frankly. I don't remember. But yeah. Okay, no. so it was Rickon that was on. Wait a minute. When when Jon Snow passed and they were hiding in the tower, was Rickon and at that they were, point? They were all with, together still. With Bran mm-hmm. and Hodor. Okay, and then yeah. So wow, it's been quite a while since we've seen him. I don't think we're going to. Yeah, I feel like he was barely a part of the show at the beginning. I haven't and I haven't heard. And you'd feel like you'd hear. I don't. Well, I guess maybe they wouldn't recast the character if he was becoming a. You know, honestly, with these child, these child actors, when they they become bigger characters, they tend yeah. to recast them. And he was such a minor character at the beginning. It's like if Marcella comes back, I would completely expect a different actress to be portraying her at this point. I mean, yeah, they couldn't do yeah. it with Bran because he was in the first episode. But I mean, you can kind of see why they do it with other characters with Bran because the actor's growing up so fast. Yeah, it's well, hard for them to keep up. When Rickon or Marcella come back. They'll come back. That's what I'm expecting. Sort of like with Tommen. Like we didn't we didn't see Tommen at all until Joffrey was about to die. So when we see when we check back in with Rickon or we check back in with Marcella, it'll mean that they're going to get a lot more screen time. That's at least that's my expectation. Okay, I have one question before we close off the podcast. So Summer and Ghost, right? Uh, Ghost is Jon Snow's dog. Mm-hmm. He reunites with Jon Snow at the end of the episode. What happened to the second direwolf? You mean Summer? Summer, she's yeah. With, she's with Bran. That's why Ghost was able to come back to John because they had the wolves in the same area. So they released Summer and went headed off. At least this is all off screen. But then they also released Ghost, and then Ghost went over to John. Okay, that's what I just wanted. And to one of them took out Carl's buddy there. Yeah. 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 That was. I think Ghost. it was Ghost. Was like, yeah. Oh, Ghost, we've missed you. <laughs> that was a great shot because you just get that little flash of white fur, and that was it. That was a fantastic little piece. I don't need to, I don't need to see those dogs ripping people apart. There's enough gore on that show. That was just a fantastic little way of shooting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and there's, uh, you know, there's Grey Wind is off with Rickon, theoretically, and uh, we never did see what happened with uh, Nymeria. Yeah, I was going to say Nymeria is still wandering around Westeros somewhere, isn't it? I'd take an episode from her point of view. Don't Wait, vision for an hour. Who who's the wolf that was with Rob Stark? Uh that, Winter? No. Um, was that Grey Wind? It wasn't yeah. I think, think so. Yeah, I don't remember. That I was Grey Wind. Rob's dead, so his wolf is dead. Yes. Yes, it's Grey Wind. Grey Wind is dead. He was decapitated. His head was put on a stake. Cry, tear, move on. <sighs> but and, uh, Rickon's Rickon's wolf. And I, I'm I'm letting down the book readers. I apologize. Okay, for, for not remembering. I'll let all the book readers know how the series ends. It's gonna end with Sir Pounce fighting Summer. Was anybody else disappointed to find out the writers did say that we will not be seeing Sir Pounce against this again this season? We will. It's gonna be Why would the they epic, do that? The epic hey, finale. It's gonna be the cat <laughs> versus the dog, I'm telling you. They have the perfect opportunity every time because now we're going to be getting scenes with Marjorie. I assume we're going to be getting scenes with Marjorie visiting Tom and at night. And what else is the cat going to be doing <laughs> than chilling on the bed at night? Like, why wouldn't he be there? Where is what, Sir Pounce? What is he doing? Now there's all this mystery. What else would Tommen be doing? He needs cat. Maybe he has Sir Pounce off doing missions for him. Tommen's pl- he's scheming. Who knows? Maybe it's a magical cat and, I don't know, someone like Millicent can see things in the point of view of the cat. Okay, I think that, I think our, our speculations and fan fiction about the interesting adventures of Sir Pounce means it's time to wrap up the podcast. Uh, Randy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. Where can our listeners find your work online? Everywhere. Just follow me on at Process Media on Twitter. I post everything there. It's easier. And uh, and Ricky. Um, everywhere, like Randy. <laughs> <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at SoundOnSite. And a big shout-out to the sidewalks in the world for keeping me off the streets. 
Um, you can find me at uh, The Televerse on Twitter. And, of course, it's also the name of Sunnyside's weekly TV podcast that I host with Sean Coletti. I also have the Hannibal podcast and lots of reviews and all sorts of other other good things. You can also read my uh, – if, if you're so inclined, I do review Veep over at the AV Club. You can check that out as well. But uh, lots of, of TV talk. Just hit us up on Twitter. We're, we're always good for a conversation. Let you know, Chastise me for having forgotten uh, Rickon's wolf's name there, and I will – gladly take uh take my 20 lashes for that but thank you again randy for coming on thank you everyone for listening next week we'll be back to talk about episode six of season four the laws of gods and men written by brian cogman and directed by alex sakharov so thank you again everyone for listening we'll be back next week with the next episode of the sound on site game of thrones podcast eight thousand on sunny two thousand second sons would that be enough to take king's landing one stone crumbles and another takes its place. He sits the throne like he was born to it. Why does he feel responsible for you? What wife would do for you the things I've done for you? What the hell are you doing? You mustn't let anything stop you. You move at sundown.